1: This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we arrive at what has been building up for several weeks now, the night Jesus was betrayed, arrested, and condemned to death. The book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 43 through 52, will be our focus this week. It's already been a disappointing night of performance by the disciples. Some of them had talked a big game about standing with Jesus and and even dying with him if need be, but when game time arrived... They were found weak and wanting. And now the armed crowd, led by Judas, arrived to arrest Jesus. What happened then was quite a scene, packed full of activity. Judas kissed and betrayed. Peter attacked. Jesus healed, peacefully submitted, and displayed the power of his spoken word. The disciples fled in fear and confusion, and someone didn't have time first to put on any clothes— Pastor Jim will be taking us through the events of that night and conclude with some personal applications from what we learn, including today's segment of the sermon entitled Betrayed and Arrested.
0: So today we come to what is the record of arguably the best known act of human infamy of all time. To this day, the term Judas Kiss stands, to, uh, stands forever to to be an expression of any act of disloyalty that causes great emotional hurt or personal harm. And we're going to see the betrayal go down, and we're going to see Jesus be arrested. So betrayed and arrested, that's the theme, and it's a narrative passage. It's pretty easy to to analyze it this way. We'll see it in five points, the mob, the kiss, the melee, the absurdity, and the escapees. Now, as I mentioned, no one of the four Gospels contains every detail of this. So we'll work from Mark, that's the one we're studying, and we're going to fill in uh, some bits from the others. If you want to compare all four of the Gospels, you can stick uh, three fingers into other chapters of your Bible and be ready to turn to them if you want to. The parallel passages are in Matthew 26, Luke 22, and John 18. Well, let's start out by meeting the mob in Mark fourteen forty three. Immediately while he was still speaking. What was he speaking? Well, we just read, Behold, the one who is betraying me is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Well, when the Sanhedrin got their chance to seize Jesus, they went for it with gusto. I can't imagine what story they must have come up with to get the Romans involved. But they did. This this group was huge. John chapter 18, verse 3 tells us that it included a Roman cohort. A cohort could have been as many as 600 soldiers. Now, I'm not sure you could fit 600 soldiers plus the temple guard into the Garden of Gethsemane. They probably brought a much smaller detail, but it was a big deal. It also included that temple guard, the, the, the temple police, and this huge display. When you put the four gospels together, you know that they also came with torches and swords and clubs if you look in Matthew's gospel, he calls it a multitude, or I'm sorry, Mark, uh, Mark calls it a, a, a multitude. Matthew calls it a great multitude with swords and clubs. Humanly speaking, it was massive overkill. But unless Jesus went quietly, they didn't bring anywhere near enough. No one could overpower Jesus, but they tried. Along with the Roman soldiers in the arrest mob, it says it was the officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. those were the the temple guards. they were the security force for the temple and and Rome allowed the Jews to have their own muscle, if you will, because of the the problems of Gentiles and being on the, on the, the temple mount and all of that stuff. So they did all of this now. John gives us more detail that 's where he says they brought lanterns and torches and weapons. That's quite a display in a dark, quiet garden after midnight. Here comes a mob carrying torches and lanterns. Who are they searching for? The light of the world. Here they come with this array of human weapons to arrest whom? The Prince of Peace. Oh, and by the way, he's unarmed. All of this was to arrest one unarmed man who had never harmed anyone or threatened anyone. So we call them the mob. Now, let's look at the, the kiss. For one last time, Judas feigned love for Jesus. He'd been doing it for three and a half years. It was a sickening display of hypocrisy when he, he treated Jesus as a precious friend, but it was all just for a public display. So the Romans, who hadn't been paying attention, I'm sure, the ones who didn't know Jesus, they would know the target of this lynch mob. He came up and he kissed Jesus. That would be the custom of men kissing men on the cheek. He kissed Jesus on the cheek just as if they were true, close friends. And, and, and he called him Rabbi just as if he actually believed what Jesus taught. Here it is in verses 44 and 45 of Mark 14. Now he who was betraying them had given them a signal saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. After coming, Judas immediately went to him saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. Can you imagine the, the shock of the other 11? It was Judas. And it wasn't a mistake. He brought this group. We have the mob. We have the, we have the kiss. Now I want to introduce you to the, the melee, verses 46 and 47. This encounter didn't take very long. John adds a tasty little tidbit or two though. Uh, he says that before, or he recorded that before Jesus allowed them to arrest him, Jesus made them say who they wanted. So they were forced to specify Jesus the Nazarene. That way he could make sure that the disciples would not be arrested. Then Jesus did something you need to see. So Let's flip over to John 18 for just a moment. It says this, right in the same flow where we are in Mark 14, 44. So Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, look, he knew every single step of this dance. He knew everything that was going to happen. He knew what was going on in every heart of every person there. Knowing all things that were coming upon him, he went forth, so he's there with the eleven, he steps out, and he said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he, and Judas also, who was betraying with him, was with them. Now I know there's they's and them's and he's and all of that. Judas is standing with the murderous mob facing Jesus. They said, Jesus the Nazarene. That means Jesus, the one from Nazareth. It does not refer to Jesus' denominational affiliation. He was obviously from an independent Bible synagogue uh, where he he had grown up. The answer was given by several people. We know that because the verb form is, is plural. They probably were reciting the words of their official orders. Jesus speaks on behalf of all of them. Whom do you seek? Jesus, the Nazarene. And he says, I am he. That simply means, yes, I am Jesus of Nazareth. You don't need to look any farther. I'm your guy. But Jesus worded his answer also not only to identify himself, but to reinforce his deity. It's translated in our Bibles as I am he. The Greek is just ego me." I am, the emphatic pronoun I and the verb uh, to be in the form of I am, first person singular. It's exactly the way he said it seven times in the Gospel of John as recorded, but especially in John eight fifty eight. And when he said, I am, they picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because... He was using the name of God. That name, I am, based on the verb to be, it comes from Exodus 3.14, back when God revealed himself by that name to Moses when Moses was going to go to Pharaoh. Now, I want you to try to picture this. Imagine yourself as a soldier there that night. You are armed to the hilt. You've got your brother soldiers all around you. You've been led to believe that you are pursuing a dangerous criminal who needs to be executed. And you're going after him at night in a dark olive grove. Suddenly, there appears an unarmed man who steps forward and willingly asks you who you want. You tell him and he calmly says, that's me. And then, oh, I love this. Keep going in John chapter 18, verse 6. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now that's a kind of difficult phrase to, to translate. Uh, drew back and fell to the ground is a, is a euphemism for what happened. It was one of two little miracles that are embedded in this situation. I I looked at the words, and I came up with the most literal translation. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know, and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036, or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704, or on the Internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.